Hello, welcome to the BME podcast. Uh, I am Maurice Gordon, uh, joining you from the University of Central Lancashire and from Blackpool Victoria Hospital. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Jeff Wong. Uh, Jeff, um, I'd be very happy if you could introduce yourself, in particular where you're joining us from. Hello, um, good, hello, good day. Um, so I'm Dr. Jeff Wong, um, Clinical Research Fellow and GP. I work at the Nuffield Department of Primary Care Health Sciences at the University of Oxford. Uh, my clinical work is actually in a sort of standard GP surgery in, in central London. Lovely. Now, um, I'm going to go on and introduce the topic of today's podcast, but I think for anybody who has heard the words realist and review in the same sentence, uh, they will not have got much further without coming across your work, uh, Jeff. And I I will go back to uh, my own master's studies uh, coming on for almost a decade now. uh, And this is when you were uh, uh, really trailblazing in these areas. And I was excited by reading your work. And I'm sure many other people have. So that's the topic for today. And we really wanted to pick your brains and where we've come from, where the field is now, and in particular, maybe some of the challenges for those who um, are looking to use the realist review methodology in a secondary synthesis in health education. So perhaps for my first question, if we start at the beginning, how did you first become involved or in developing or understanding this technique? What was your first uh, experiences that led you down this route of becoming uh, the expert in realist synthesis? Um, I think like much of life, it's, it's coincidence and then knowing that uh, this is an opportunity worth pursuing. So I, I happen to be working actually in, in education, working as a clinical lecturer at Inverse College London, um, teaching on an MSc course. And my boss uh, then and now, Trish Greenhouse, uh, happened to be working on an evaluation with uh, Ray Porson. Um, and she said, look, you've got to meet this guy. He's, he's got a fantastic idea. It, you know, this is a, an absolutely mind-blowing way of thinking about things. Um, I, I did. And, and then, you know, to use a cliche, the rest is, is history. I think my, my <laughs> own MD thesis was on uh, using realist synthesis or on a medical education topic, the use of the Internet in medical education. Um, and then from there, I've sort of continued to use the approach um, on a whole range of different topics and, and helping people to, to kind of build capacity uh, as well as solve their sort of research type problems using this particular approach. Now, that first paper is the one that I, I um, was first attracted to. Uh, I thought it was a phenomenal piece. My master's was about that topic of um, uh, the internet as a medical uh, resource. And I thought the insight that, that paper gave was absolutely spectacular. So perhaps if you take us back to those experiences, uh, and obviously there was this great idea presented, what were your feelings or thoughts when, when you were first um, pursuing this approach? Uh, you know, when did you realize this had legs and this is something that, that, that was offering uh, something new? Well, first of all, thank you. Um, I, I, one of the problems, as I'm sure you know about thesis, uh, sometimes you don't ever want to look at them again because they <laughs> might seem rather amateurish. And, and I think there are certain some elements of that particular paper. I, I wish if I had to redo, I would certainly redo. Um, now, uh, in, in terms of my initial sort of thoughts and recognitions and, and, and uh, how did I? So, so the challenge that, that, I, that we faced or I faced uh, when, when working on our course, and this is very much driven by, by working on a course, was that some things seem to work for some people some of the time. Uh, and in fact, nothing ever seems to work for everybody all of the time. 
uh, and, and this whole concept of, of things being sort of context-dependent, uh, and at that time, this, this emerging idea very much that, that complexity is very, very important, um, certainly played out in the use of, of the Internet. I mean, it, the course that we ran was a blended learning course, so it had both some face-to-face elements, which we later got rid of, and then predominantly moved on to um, to, to all just online. And, and it, was, it just seemed clear that literally, for some people, it was absolutely fantastic, and it, for other people, they were much better off being on a face-to-face course. Um, and we wanted to understand this. I also wanted to, to do a, a, a higher degree, so that became then an opportunity of, well, what can I do in the sort of time available? Um, and one of the, the, the attractions that draw me, draws me to secondary research is that um, don't have to go out and collect any data, and it's quite challenging as a clinician. You know, I still work half time um, to be able to spend lots of time sitting around collecting primary data. So that was an, an appeal for secondary research. And then I was thinking, look, here, here's a way, here's an explanation, a pretty coherent explanation provided by, provided by Ray Borson in, 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 in Ray Lucinsis of explaining the relationships between. Um, what is a context, a thing that is around an, an individual, in this case an individual learner, let's say, or a course, things around the course, uh, and it's how it's related then to an outcome. You know? And then this outcome could be either a final desired outcome, someone does learn something, um, or further, further down the line, which is you know, part of the holy grail of, of, of uh, medical education, that patients actually get better because we've learned something. And, and you can have all these sort of proximal outcomes, a little stepping stones along the way as well that might get us there. So, so the appeal for me was very much, here's this explanation. It actually says, this is what we mean by context. This is how it's related to outcome. And, it, and, it, and it's via this sort of um, causal process called mechanisms. And that was something I hadn't run across beforehand. Having had, like I suspect many of the listeners, a very traditional uh, medical uh, education, as it were, yeah. med school education. Um, and I think I think it's a very good piece. I take your point. When we read our own reading, we always think we've moved forward. But I would, I'm going to put a, um, a link to it in the podcast notes um, uh, for the listeners. Um, it was published in BMC Medical Education in 2010. I think it's a really good piece. Um, um, if anything, forget about the actual technique, but just for the topic. Um, um, so I think it's a really good piece. But of course, the next thing that on my external uh, tracking of this journey was the Ramsey statement, um, uh, which sort of seems to be the culmination a few years down the line of, of, of taking this idea that you'd used in these studies and then you, you were becoming increasingly skilled with and, and you, you clearly felt there was a need. So perhaps if you could tell the listeners about that journey and what actually Ramesses is and how you think it should be used. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so the, the Ramesses project, it, it, it's actually an acronym that stands for something, but it's very much like everything in life, you know, such as IBM being a good example or PwC. Um, the acronym doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, it, it's just a sort of almost kind of brand. Um, it, it was a, a health services and delivery research funded program uh, project um, by, by the National Institute of Health Research here in the UK. Um, and I think its origins lie in the fact that the health services and delivery research um, program, the HS and DR program, um, were getting, like I suspect many funders, um, projects which had really something in front of it, realist evaluation, realist review. And one of the challenges they were facing was, look, here's a lot of interest. It, it obviously makes sense or, or, or resonates with many, many health services researchers, uh, evaluators. And um, 
they were putting in these grant applications. And, and then once you do get these grant applications, well, how in the world do you, one, publish them? What, where are the training materials for these? And then on top of that, what, what are the sort of standards? What, what are the quality standards? Um, <clears throat> quite a lot of the work that, that Ray Pawson has done is, is, is very conceptual. I think he puts across how you go about thinking about realism and why it's applicable in health services research, or in his case, it, it's a sort of social science research. Um, but I think there hasn't been many sort of lines drawn in the sand, any sort of consensus type statement. So the, I think the origin is that that's where the origin is in trying to understand what, what is the, the state of science at the moment, what can we agree on at least as, as standing as sort of quality, uh, what are the training materials which are available, and trying to put, really produce something of a practical value to a range of stakeholders, all the way through from you know, uh, people who are, who are doing the research and evaluations through to, um, to, to funders, and then finally to, to journal editors as well, which is where the sort of publication standards come in. Um, and I suppose that brings us to one of the reasons I thought it was really important to to link in with you, which is um, in our work with BME, as you're seeing through uh, many of your works, I'm sure, uh, with reviews outside of the BME structure in wider journals, uh, there is increasing interest. And I think your comment about resonation is right. I, I think it resonates. And, and I, I did a piece about the paradigms, uh, research paradigms that underpin our systematic review and our, our synthesis in, in education. And, and, and there is a, a an elegance to where the realist review philosophy and methodology sits. The problem we have is very often um, the work we see coming through has a very good plan and is very well cited through uh, the methodology uh, moving past why um, this approach would be sensible in this context and, and, and how we're going to do it. But actually the execution uh, seems to be very challenging to people. Um, and I understand because it's very different. Uh, and I wonder what your experience perhaps in your, in your uh, works yourselves, works for colleagues, but also your peer review works are of this problem uh, and maybe how you think this needs to be resolved, you know, what support is needed, is available, or what exactly is the difficulty people are having if clearly they're finding this is such an exciting idea and uh, a concept that they're, they're, they're ascribing to, but actually the execution is, is perhaps uh, they're biting off more than they can chew. Is this something you see? Yes, uh, I, I think you've hit the, the, the nail on the head there. It's actually a very common problem, um, particularly with um, the, the peer reviewing that I do do, um, as well as sometimes when I'm working with other project teams and they want to use this idea and you know, we sort of put together, let's say, a grant proposal and all the various different sections. The bit I tend to look at is the sort of realist bit of the, the section, as it were. <clears throat> like everything in life, there's probably hundreds of different reasons and also probably lots of different solutions. Um, but certainly I can, I can talk from, from my, own, uh, my own experience of sort of learning how to do this, as it were, um, and, and then maybe going from there on to possibly looking at that sort of solution. So I think from my own, from my own personal experience, and I was very, very fortunate, and I had Ray Porton as one of my supervisors, um, and I think that possibly, while it's, it is important to have a good supervisor, as I'm sure we all know, I think a, a fundamental step even prior to starting any sort of realist project is really to appreciate what it is, which is that it's a very different way of thinking about data. So it's actually more a lens than, than a method. And, you, and some of the sort of sharper, more eagle-eyed 
listeners might have heard, noticed that I tend to use the term approach uh, rather than as a such as method. So really, synthesis is all, and really evaluation. It's sort of primary research, um, uh, brother, sister, um, is a way of looking at data. It's a way of trying to understand patterns in the data using a particular causal explanation, which is the, the sort of context plus mechanism equals outcome. How you go about collecting that data that you then uh, uh, look at via this particular lens is that's the method. Um, and, and in the case of, for example, uh, evidence synthesis, they would have collected this data in a very, very different range of ways, from you know, questionnaires through trials, uh, through ethnographic type work, or just as an opinion piece. So I think that's the first thing to appreciate. It's, it's not a method, per se. It's a way of looking at data. And underpinning that is a whole bunch of um, philosophy, which you kind of don't need to know very well, but you do need to understand the philosophy. Uh, you know, one doesn't need to be a philosopher. And, and the reason for that is that it actually permeates through a, a whole range of different things that one does, both in data analysis and then finally all the way through to how one might present the data as well. So for example, in terms of how one might present the data, in terms of things that are, for example, recommendations. You know, we tend to see sometimes uh, papers or articles or say things like, you know, doctors should or clinicians should. A realist would really never say that, because when you say should, it means all the time. Yeah. Um, and in realism, the idea is that how you get an outcome or why an outcome occurs is context dependent. Um, because it's different types of context, it's different types of scenarios and situations around an individual uh, will trigger slightly different mechanisms. So you can't really say should, must. Um, and, and that's a, sort of a, a small illustration of, look, if you don't really understand realism, then you're probably already going to have an uphill struggle by the time you get to actually running the project. Um, so that's such a, a simple thing. Realism. The next bit, which is related to you know, your supervisors are and stuff, is I think there's, there's no substitute in a way. You know, one can read quite a lot of Porson, uh, and, and Ray Porson's three books are highly accessible, they're very easy to read, all make a lot of sense, um, but they're not particularly detailed in what you actually do. Um, I mean, he fully openly admits that, and, and that's part of the um, the remit of these fantasies projects you were talking about earlier, which is trying to produce some sort of much more practical stuff. Um, but even I think if you move on to reading about it, there's no substitute for reading about it, working with someone who knows what they're doing on a project with it, and kind of learning along the way. So I know it's all hat and it's a bit of a cliche as well. It's a little bit like the way medicine is often conceptualized as being a sort of apprenticeship-type model of learning, you know, someone to show you the ropes. Um, and to very gently and hopefully very constructively point you in the right direction. So I think if anyone were to want to do one of these projects, you know, training, yes, reading, yes, yes but also making sure you've got help with you. So um, I, I, I guess I, I think I accept um, as a problem because it always is when one's conceptualizing a new idea that you have these fantastic sources and I agree I think uh, the books are available but I, I take your point the practical side maybe is missing I think Ramesses is very helpful I, I wonder if if 
people are contacting me or yourself and they want a practical resource, but perhaps their own supervisor maybe doesn't have experience of it, where would you point them, you know, on a day-to-day -day sort of, you know, being asked this question? What direction would you point them in? Or would you actually say perhaps that very question is exactly why maybe realism at the, that point in time is not necessarily the most practical approach for them? You, you see, I'm asking the more pragmatic end of the, 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 the question. Um, what what, what yeah. do you reckon? It's a common problem we have. So, yeah, look, capacity building is a huge problem. Um, I, I guess it's true with starting anything new. Um, I suspect when people were running randomized trials back in the sort of perhaps early 50s after the initial um, you know, exemplar trials, um, mm. there was a lot of learning on the job and, and possibly learning and, and getting things wrong and learning from that, one hopes. Um, so... The capacity building issue, well, I think there are training courses, um, and, and, and there's no, in a way, there's no sort of excuse for not going on a training course if you're not really sure, other than the fact, of course, that they cost money, fully accept that. <laughs> um, finding funding is not always the easiest thing to do. The, there is a, a, an online um, email uh, list, which is the, the GIST mail list, so that's a sort of academic list uh, run for, for academics across the UK. Um, and people do often post questions there and, and get them answered. You know, rarely by myself. I, I must say I'm particularly bad at answering questions on the country, sort of busy doing other things. But many of my other colleagues um, will will help with sort of very practical advice. Um, I think many people do approach me. Um, not, not that I'm encouraging fast amounts of email from everyone, but people do approach me and say, "Now, a very simple question here. Perhaps a question: What can I try and do?" Uh, and then sometimes it's just very, very practical bits of advice which will help. And, and it's the little bits of advice, sometimes with an illustrative example, that seem to make a, a, a big difference. Um, many of the individuals are, that, that, that do contact me all do run into trouble, as it were, if you want to call it that. Um, many are PhD students um, or field students. So that, that's unsurprising that you know, they're, they're on the learning journey, so one you know, can't, can't be critical at all about that. You know, we're all learning stuff, and I've been there myself. It's you know that's that's often the best time to to make your mistakes, as it were, and to think oh, I'm really not sure what I'm doing. I better go and get some help. Um, mm. I think where the biggest challenge is when is when people do have a lack of insight. That, you know, they think they know what they're talking about. So classic one, I'm sure you will have seen uh, in some of the reviews that people think it's a form of qualitative research. Well, it's not. Uh, plain and simple. Um, it just isn't. It's more than that. It's a way of looking at data. And, and it's, if you haven't got the insight and the willingness to want to learn, to, to unlearn in a way and then to relearn, then it's probably not a journey you want to start on. Uh, some of the relearning, if you, even if you do contact uh, you know, someone for advice or team up with a, a more experienced practitioner, and there are increasingly numbers, increasing numbers of those now, um, it does mean still questioning the ways of doing things within a review, which can, for some people, be very uncomfortable. So I don't know how... Well, and and, and, and I think that. it's... I don't want to in any way cause a conflict of interest, but just um, for the purposes of... Hmm. Uh, we haven't pre prepared this, but I've just typed into Google uh, realist uh, uh, review and course, and the first thing in the Google response um, is training offered at University of Oxford, and a tutor pops up with a certain name you may recognize. So I'm certainly sure there are courses out there and they're available, and I think, I think given the uniqueness 
uh, of this, which we're cer certainly, you know, uh, from someone like yourself who clearly um, is an authority, I think it's very hard for listeners to ignore that. And I, 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 I think those core readings are useful, but ultimately the idea of having the practical training before pursuing this approach, I think is a very powerful message I would strongly endorse. However, there's something that's been burning internal discussions with us in Beamy and burning in my own mind. I wanted to pose at you because I'm really interested in where you were going there about it not being a qualitative methodology. Within Beamy, uh, we um, used to refer to our reviews as systematic, and that title was dropped. And the reason was it was felt to not be inclusive to other approaches. And one of the things that was always cited was realist. However, Beamy, perhaps unlike other forms of review that may be uh, retrospectively peer review through a traditional approach, and of course any article can be considered in that way, um, has certain prerequisites that are grounded, and this is ultimately a, an irony that does cause some uh, difficulty because they see it as a hypocrisy, in perhaps the more positivist tradition. Uh, and that's all aimed at um, increasing the, uh, reducing the bias and increasing the, the, the sort of trustworthiness of results. For example, we do have a, a protocol writing phase where you make a plan and that's peer reviewed to make sure it's the highest quality it can be. We do have requirements for some systematic components, so pre-decide uh, on uh, sort of the process you're going to follow for finding data and extracting data from what sources you're using and describe that in a transparent way. And those elements add a systematic uh, component. But that's not the same as the way or the alignment of the review per se, and it's not the same as how you choose to synthesize the data. So my question is this, would you see that the realist approach can be uh, deployed uh, only in a systematic fashion, only in a non-systematic fashion, both or neither? Because I have, depending on who I speak to, various views on how compatible the two different elements are and without I don't want to sort of pre-judge your answer so I'm not going to say anything further but do you kind of see the question I'm asking and I'm, I'm, I'm interested what you think yeah. well I, I would go back to, to asking the question of what you mean by systematic exactly um, yeah. so you know, a dictionary definition would be that it, it has a series of set out processes um, and then, like much in life, you know, such as Hoover and vacuum cleaner, it ends up, or Kleenex, to perhaps for the American audience, um, it ends up being a sort of, you know, been, been taken over to mean something else. So, in that sense, is it, it, it is, are realist reviews systematic? I think they can be systematic if people are prepared to put out a very clear protocol of what they're planning to do. I fully accept that some, some of the things need repeating. Uh, and I've published a number of, uh, there's a diagram which we, we published in a, in a review that we've done recently, where you know, we're, we're trying to be quite clear about the fact that, yes, it's an iterative process, but actually it's an iteration across a certain series of processes. It's not just an iteration across any process you fancy um, because you feel like it. So I think in that sense, I would say, it can be systematic in the sense that you can set out what you plan to do. Um, I think there's a much more fundamental epistemological question here, which mm. is, um, you know, what knowledge generation, uh, which is that if you look at things like, for example, realist reviews or evaluations, they're very theory has the, the product is actually a theory. It's an explanation of phenomena.
and it's the explanation of the outcomes one can get in phenomena. Uh, it's an explanation of phenomena um, using a realist explanation of why those phenomena occur. And well, I don't necessarily want to go into a discussion about how do you know one theory is better than another, um, or whatever you mean by better in the first place. I think that's possibly where it, there is the most mileage to be gained from a number of processes. So number one is being quite clear as to how one is going to judge with how a theory is better than another. Um, another thing that would be very clear is trans that, that I think one would I would strongly recommend is transparency. Um, it ultimately is for others to judge whether a theory is better than another. Um, and I think one of the things you shouldn't be getting away with with any review is just sort of opacity. You know, you're just not quite sure how one got to the recommendations based on this set of data. Um, and I would strongly encourage, I think, you know, going back to what we should do, um, to try and provide as much as possible the details of this is the data, this is how we interpreted it to these concepts. And based on our interpretations, these are the inferences we've come to. Uh, and based on these inferences, this is what we recommend. Um, you know, to sort of really breaking it down into these various different steps along the way. So, so essentially, uh, and I think you were alluding to in the beginning of uh, your response there, that, that, that perhaps the, the, I like the Hoover and vacuum cleaner, uh, systematic is often perhaps um, uh, misunderstood or misaligned with the Cochrane approach, which is clearly um, very valuable, but very grounded in a very um, uh, defined positivist um, uh, uh, approach. And, and, and actually, if we take systematic, as you quite rightly say, to mean a di dictionary definition, which is something BME does align with, um, a realist uh, uh, review could very uh, appropriately be completed within that framework. And as you quite rightly say, it's the wider uh, alignment and that wider acceptance of a new way of understanding knowledge and also the 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 nature of the answers the realist approach is going to give you because the nature of those answers perhaps as you say or at least I think I'm understanding correctly may not necessarily be uh, in line with what people have uh, uh, addressed or approached before or even uh, uh, that the primary studies that are included in the review have have um, uh, sort of achieve. So am I sort of kind of getting it in a way that, that makes you think I've understood you and do you think our listeners will um, uh, will sort of um, get that sort of way of viewing realism? I mean, essentially, um, it sounds like it's something that should very much be on the books for potential BME and non-BME systematic views in education, and I'm hoping you'll agree. Well, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the question here or the issue here is about the type of question you're asking. And, and again, I think... I don't want to spend too long on this because it could, one could spend an entire afternoon talking about this. So I think it, it, it again boils down to, I would say, philosophy. Uh, it depends how you conceptualize the world. Um, and I think I've written about this before. So I think if you conceptualize the world as being sort of very clockwork, you know, so everything is like a, 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 the mechanisms and processes within a clock, then realist reviews are probably not much help to you because you're going to think, right, if I turn this crank here, this hand will move a number of centimeters um, because this is how the mechanism within my clock works. It's a very clockwork world, very complicated. In other words, lots of interacting components. 
and things are very linear. Um, if we then move on to thinking that perhaps the world is complex, and I fully appreciate that complexity is another fantastic term that means different things to different people, but you know, non-linear relationships, this, this whole idea of the, these concepts that we use now regularly of things such as tipping points, etc., um, they're all from complexity emergence. So if you look at it that way, in a way you have this sort of messy world where little things can make a huge difference, um, then that becomes much more difficult to use much more rigid approaches that, in effect, when we say positive, we might start, not, not that they're exactly equatable, um, but thinking of, of people who think that the world is complicated in clockwork versus perhaps everyone else or anyone else that isn't within that camp of thinking, well, you know, the world is actually very complex, and to make sense of it, we have to understand the various interactions a lot more than assuming they're, they're completely linear. Um, so that, that's a sort of initial sort of understanding of how the world is constituted, uh, sort of an ontological uh, discussion. And then the realism has a, a position around that. And, and you know, it's in Luke Wilson's third book, um, Science of Evaluation. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the Science of Evaluation of Realism Manifesto. Um, you know, he, he has a sort of, he says that the, 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 the complicate, complicate Complexity comes because of things like sort of volition, long intervention chains, um, people having you know, interventions coming from time, uh, things like emergence. Um, I can't remember his entire seven seven things that he tries to remind us that why complexity occurs. But taking that particular perspective, it starts to be the case of going right. If we then get these observational ob observable uh, outcomes. Um, which are not particularly regular. You know, I, don't, I think it's probably true to say that uh, not everything occurs all the time in the ways that we would expect. Um, some things are pretty close. So then we need to understand, have some way of understanding why these outcomes occur, and then what is this thing that's context, and then you start talking about you know, what the causal process is, and then we come back to context plus mechanism equals outcome. So there's quite a lot of background to this, I think, which would then allow us to start thinking about why it is that we would use particular approaches for particular types of questions. So just to go back to why we might use, for example, you know, a Cochrane systematic review. So the, the way of thinking about that would be that you, you're able to, to narrow down the degree, the boundaries of the complexity in certain situations. So a good example would be that if we look at um, randomized controlled trials and meta-analyses of medications, um, the systems there are complex, but at the level that we're doing the analysis, which is the sort of measurement, let's say, of blood pressure or you know, change in glycated hemoglobin in a diabetic, um, those things are not as complex as they seem initially because the system's quite bounded. So we can use a sort of relatively clockwork way of looking at, at that by saying, look, if I add this tablet, you know, their blood pressure goes down. Or if I add this tablet, their sugar level goes down. Once we start moving towards social type systems, and I think education is a really good example of this, you know, no two educational institutions are exactly the same in, in, in every possible way, even though they might be a branch of, of the same university in a different country. Um, we're now talking about a system which isn't bounded. It has, in a way, no boundaries. And we need to actually define what those boundaries are and to focus down on the types of outcomes we're interested in 
and then to understand how it is that there are different contextual influences, you know, where the country is, what the lecturers' attitudes are, how much pay, uh, what the students' expectations are, all of those different types of things start becoming important to the outcomes we might be interested in, let's say, for example, you know, achievement or recruitment into a particular specialty uh, in, in medicine. So I think once you start thinking about it that way, it becomes clear, you know, as, as a realist, I'm, I'm completely happy with people uh, wanting to, for example, do randomized controlled trials on medications and then doing a meta-analysis of the various randomized controlled trials on the medication. I can conceptually think why that is completely appropriate because I understand their way of thinking about things. But whether someone wanted to do that with, you know, if it was even possible, uh, randomizing what different medical schools across the UK did um, and then doing a meta-analysis of that, and I think that would be you know, a bit of a fool's errand, really. Um, I would tend to agree. So I guess um, I, I, I think this has been a very, very helpful chat. Um, the last thing I'm going to indulge um, um, myself in in asking you is um, a top tip. So for those who are about to start this journey and are attracted to this phenomenal approach, as you put it, what would be your first top tip for them, for them to go away with uh, for our listeners? Um, I think apart from the, 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 I can kind of go through, perhaps recap, that might be very helpful. So yeah. apart from getting, getting sort of things like sort of training and, 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 you know, seeking help, getting sure that there's someone there to hold your hand and talk through some of the tricky bits, um, one top tip I'd say is actually don't work alone. I know this is very difficult for people who are doing PhDs or DPhils. Um, quite a lot of the understanding that we get in our projects comes from discussion and debate. You know, so I might interpret data in a particular way. Um, but my colleagues don't, which is a good thing. Um, or if they do, well, that's great. Well, although I do accept that that may well be that it, we've, we've ended up in groupthink. Um, so perhaps what you may also notice there is it, it's basically being critical. It's thinking that I really have none of the answers. I'm not really 100% sure, and I'm not going to assume that what I know here is definitely the be-all and end-all, and I'm just going to go home now because I've done enough of this. So having debates and discussions of the data um, is a good way of checking whether that, uh, the interpretations we've made of the data and any inferences we might come to are, 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 of, any, are of any value. And that can go beyond the project team. Uh, many projects that I've worked on have a sort of uh, a content expert group. So it might well be that if in medical education it would be if we're looking at a bit of uh, uh, regulation, we might ask people from various regulatory bodies to look at our program theories uh, and our explanations of, of, of various different outcomes and behaviors of individuals and say, what well, does this make sense to you? Because if it doesn't make any sense to them, uh, it probably doesn't make any sense to anybody. Fantastic. I mean, I would agree with that entirely, and I think that's probably a rich piece of advice for, for any reviews when we're, when we're looking at the final stages of collating um, uh, the results of our synthesis. I, I, I would agree entirely. Okay, uh, uh, Jeff, I, I, I so uh, much appreciate you giving us your time. I really hope that you would consider perhaps talking to us and perhaps a, a different group or a few of our colleagues from Beamy or without Beamy in the future. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And, and, and yes, I think I'd be more than happy to help out where possible. Thank you so much. Uh, and and uh, 
that will do it for today's uh, podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, any questions, of course, um, uh, I know Jeff's mentioned that um, whilst he's happy to help, um, certainly uh, be kind and understanding. Uh, the, the price one pays for being a world expert is time is limited, but certainly from a BME perspective, we're always happy to hear from you, and we can obviously direct and support you getting access to the various trainings needed to help you achieve this uh, uh, use of this fantastic technique or any others you see fit. So thank you very much, uh, and and uh, we hope to hear, speak to you again. Okay. Uh, Jeff, that was amazing. That was fantastic. Very, very helpful. Um, I think it achieved everything I wanted it to in terms of, um, you know, you've got a very clear message there. Because the truth is, that's not what's happening. People are, are doing a couple of citations and methods. They've got no expertise. They're not taking any specialist training. And I think it was a fair message. Um, I don't think it was in any way overbearing, but I think it's an appropriate one. Uh, when taking on what is such a different uh, approach. And, and I may indulge in you in the future perhaps to involve in some discussions because this, this issue of, well, it's realist, therefore it can't be systematic, is steeped in this bias, the dirtiness that's tainted the word systematic if you're in education and, of course, is lauded by those in Cochrane who, who have accepted and, and stand by that. And, of course, because I live in both worlds, now editing Beamy and now I'm, I'm the Cochrane IBD a group editor. I've just got an NIHR grant for Cochrane. Um, I kind of live in the middle, and I don't see them as mutually exclusive, but I think an awful lot of people do, uh, and they focus on that rather than actually what I think you've beautifully um, listed, which is do the realist bit right. Don't focus on the systematic or not, or whether it's been or not. You need to look at that whole world and that whole approach properly. Um, so I hope that's what you meant to take as a message, because I thought it was there, and I thought it was spectacular, and I really, really appreciate um, um, your time it's been absolutely fantastic i've really enjoyed it oh thank you um i, I think what you said there is, is very true it, it, you know, it, it it's basically based on the question you want to ask mm. uh, and then thinking whether or not it's a sensible way of approaching it you know and i think even i think the good news is i know again a number of people have in, in in cochrane particularly in the um the qualitative methods uh, group and i think they're coming around to the idea that you know, it, it goes back to that, you know, uh, research 101, you know, what, what is your research question? Um, and, and, and different methods of approaches are better at answering certain types of research questions, and I think we should just be accepting that uh, rather than thinking, you know, my method, method's better than yours. Well, and I think there is a tendency for that approach, really, isn't there? Mm. Okay, well, look, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, leave you there just because I'm about to start a clinic, but I really appreciate I know yourself busy clinically. Obviously, two and a half days uh, tends to spill over as well um, from both of them, so I'm sure you're, um, you're always under pressure. I really appreciate you making the time, and um, I hope to speak to you again soon. Likewise. Thanks again for having me. Lovely to speak to you. You too. Bye-bye.